you guys know that I'm a baseball fan, and for Christmas, my wife surprised me and bought me opening day tickets to the Tampa Bay Rays up in St. Pete. And so their opening day game was last Monday night, uh, right after Easter. And so my wife and I uh, drive up, it's just the two of us, and just kind of a date night at the Trop, and just doing the thing, you know. And um, again, man, I love baseball. So when I go to a game, it is straight up like I become an eight-year-old again. And so I'm there, and we got there early, and people were tailgating, and I'm walking through their tailgate parties going, this ain't nothing. You got nothing on next level. Next level, what's up? So anyway, and they, I got in a little fight, but it was cool. And No, I'm just kidding. Uh, so we go into the stadium. It was open early, and so we, we go into the stadium, and they're doing batting practice. And again, my wife knows. I mean, I, I convert to an eight-year-old, and so she just kind of sat down and was checking her text messages or whatever. And I whip out my glove because every eight-year-old doesn't go to the ballpark without a glove. Hello. So I uh, totally. So I, I whip out my glove, and I'm like four rows up in right field, and the Yankees are taking batting practice, and they're hitting. And this first ball comes flying out our way, and there's this guy sitting like two rows down from me, and the ball just like just nails the chair right next to him. And I'm like, dude, why aren't you moving, man? You need to be moving on the pitch. Come on, what are you doing? So I moved down a row. I'm like, listen, if you're not going to be a responsible outfielder, just get out of here. This is my zone now. So I moved down to the third row. And so the, sure enough, a few pitches later, the ball comes, it just, it was like a line drive off the bat. And so I'm like, again, moving on the pitch because that's what good outfielders do. So I'm moving on the pitch and I'm like, yeah. So I go down like this. And I'm telling you, it was a line drive coming right at me. And I'm like, here we go. Here we go. And I stick my glove out like this and I stick my glove out and I look and I go like this and I'm <laughs> I missed the ball and it hits my thumb and the chair and goes flying back on the field and I'm like oh and this dude standing next to me goes dude I can't believe you went for that <laughs> I'm like what's up no <laughs> I was dying my thumb was like all black and blue the whole game you guys the dream was within my grasp took the eye off the ball. What are you doing, Keller? Come on. You know better. (sighs) Anyway, what are we talking about? Oh, dream again. So, so our dreams are a lot like that though sometimes, aren't they? I mean, it's like we got a beat on it. I mean, we're, we're watching, we're moving with the pitch, we're pursuing our dream, we're going after it, and then like right at the last minute, the ball just takes this crazy curve, and we're like, what just happened? And all of a sudden, we feel like our dream just flies out, and we miss our dream. So many of us can relate to that. Well, last week, we talked about the fact that, that we serve a God who's a resurrector of dreams. And today I want us to move into more of a practical direction because here's the reality that so many of us face when we start talking about our dreams, and it's, and it's this. Between the dream and the fulfillment of the dream is a really, really, really long path. And so many of us, again, we could go around the room today and talk about this because so many of us can relate to this. So many of us understand that, that from the moment that we feel like that dream was birthed in our heart, to the moment where we, we see it fulfilled, it, it can feel like such a long path. Well, today, as we start part two of our Dream Again series, I want us to look at a guy in the Bible whose name was Joseph. And he was quite literally a young man with a dream, that he was, he was a dreamer, that God put this special gift inside of him to be able to dream and see things that others couldn't see and understand things that others couldn't understand. And I want us to look at the life of Joseph because I think inside of the life of Joseph, we will see 
several keys to holding on to our dream. That no matter what we might be facing, no matter what external circumstances might look like, Joseph was able to hold on to several things in pursuit of seeing his dream come to pass. So Joseph's story is found in the book of Genesis, and, and, and the verses are going to be on the screen around me. And I want to give us a little bit of background information, because some of us are probably going, well, okay, now who's, wait, now who's Joseph? Well, basically, if you go all the way back to the beginning of the Bible, to the book of Genesis, you find this guy named Abraham. And in, in a lot of ways, Abraham was considered to be the father of our faith. So you've got Abraham, and then he had several sons, but one of his sons' name was Isaac. And then Isaac had a son named Jacob, or they also named, uh, God changed his name from Jacob to Israel. And then Jacob had 12 sons that became the 12 tribes of Israel, which became the children of the people of God. So you've got Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and then Jacob, the 11th son of Jacob, was Joseph. And Joseph, for whatever reason, became Jacob's favorite son. And, and Jacob actually um, had a special multicolored coat created for Joseph so that no matter where he went, everyone would know, including family, friends, people in town, whatever, everyone would be able to look from a distance and see, oh, that's Joseph. Oh, yeah, that's Jacob's favorite son. Yeah, that, okay, that's the guy. Yeah, that's him. He's, he's special. That Jacob loves him more. And the story begins in Genesis 37. Look at this. Verse 3, now Israel, or Jacob, loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had been born to him in his old age. Verse 4, now when his brothers saw that their father loved Joseph more than any of them, yeah, they didn't like that too much. They hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. So they're just, they're mean to Joseph. Because they're like, man, dad loves you more than he loves us. And we just think that that's ridiculous. Verse 5, look, Joseph had a dream. Here it is. And when he told it to his brothers, uh, yeah, that didn't sit well with them either. They hated it even more. But Joseph, he was kind of lacking on wisdom. Big on dreams, light on wisdom. Look, he said to them, guys, listen. I feel like God gave me this dream. Listen to the dream. Listen, listen. And they all kind of gather around verse 7. Look, we were binding sheaves. You guys were in my dream. And we were binding sheaves of grain uh, out in the field. When suddenly my, my sheaf rose and stood Stood upright. I, I kind of rose up. Uh, oh, while all of you guys, your sheaves, um, yeah, your sheaves kind of like bowed down to mine. Okay. Don't share that. But he does. The bird is out of the cage. Here we go. Look, his brother said to him, do you intend to reign over us? Are you going to rule us, Joseph? Is that what you think? You think you're better than us? You think, you, you think you're so awesome? Is that what you're trying to say? Look, and they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he said. And Joseph, not learning his lesson, verse 9, then he had another dream. Hey, Joseph, newsflash. Here's one for you, buddy. little piece of advice. Shh. Go down to McDonald's and get a McShuddy value meal because you need to stop talking right now. Verse 9, he doesn't. He didn't listen to me. No one calls. No one asks me. No one asks me. I got thoughts about everything. Nobody calls. and Nobody wants to know what I think. Joseph didn't call. Here's what we've got. Then he had another dream, and he told his brothers, listen. He said, I had another dream. And they're like, ooh, 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 can't wait to hear this one. And this time, the sun and the moon and, oh, 11, yeah, there are 11 of you brothers, 11 stars. Imagine that. What a coincidence. Bow down to me. Well, his brothers are like, all right, Joseph, listen, you and your little dreams need to go away. So the brothers, a few days later, are out in the field, and they're working, and they're talking about it, and they're like, this Joseph, what a punk, and uh, they're getting madder and madder by the minute. And they get this plan. They're like, you know what? Let's kill him. Let's, no, 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 no. Sick of the dreams. I don't want to see the sheaves of grain bowing down. Don't want to hear another story about how Joseph is going to be awesome. 
and we're nothing. We just bow down to him. Don't want to hear it. So if he gets his plan, let's kill him. So they strip his multicolored coat of him. They kill a goat. and They put blood on it. They throw him in a pit. And they're about to leave him for dead. When one of the brothers steps up and says, wait, 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 better idea. Trying to save his little brother Joseph. He's like, listen, let's don't kill him. Let's sell him. But tell dad that we killed him. Or that he's gone. That this goat killed him. And they're like, great idea. We can get a little extra money. So they see this tribe of Ishmaelites come riding by, and they're like, hey, time out. How would you guys like a slave? So next thing you know, they sell their brother Joseph, the dreamer, the kid with the dream, the the teenage boy who had a dream. He could see things others couldn't see. They sell him to a tribe of Ishmaelites, an enemy tribe, and go home and tell their dad that he's dead. Well, the next thing you know, the Ishmaelites take this new slave, Joseph, and they wander down to Egypt. Look at this. Genesis 39 tells us this. Now, Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. And Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, this, this guy who's working in Pharaoh's government, this Egyptian government, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. So here's Joseph. Okay, you talk about bad to worse. Here's this guy who God puts this cool dream in his heart, and he sees this amazing dream. And within not a few many weeks, he ends up sold into slavery and then sold again to a foreign government official. Things are not looking good for Dream Boy. But check out what verse 2 says in Genesis 39. This is so huge. Look at what it says. The Lord was with Joseph. The Lord was was with what i mean in the natural we're looking on at the story and we're going no <laughs> you missed it bro you missed it this is not a good dream this is not a good set of circumstances around a guy's dream but the bible records and i believe this is a word for some of us today listen that even in the midst of what looks like in the natural, really, 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 really bad circumstances, being sold and then being sold again to a foreign government official in slavery, even in the midst of really, really, really bad circumstances, even in the midst of a really, really, really bad economy and a record high foreclosure rate and a record high unemployment rate in our community, even in the midst of that, the Bible records that the Lord was with him. And then look at what the second part of the verse says. And caused him to prosper. Even in the midst of what looks like Joseph being a million miles away from his dream. The Bible says that God was with him. And listen, some of us today, you're here today, you're watching, you're listening today. And you're, you're thinking to yourself, Matt, you don't understand how my dreams have been stripped away from me. I feel like I am a million miles away from that dream marriage that I always wanted to have. From that, that dream career that I always wanted. My, my dream home, Matt, it was within our grasp and then it bounced back onto the field. It missed my glove by inches. Matt, you don't understand how I feel so separated from my dream. Listen, can I just tell you today? That you may feel like you're a million miles away from your dream, but like Joseph, God is with you. And we serve a God who is big enough that even when we feel a million miles from our dream, he gives us the ability to prosper in the midst of what feels like bondage and slavery. So here's, yeah, come on. So here's Joseph, and, and he's, he's, he's living in Potter's house. And he's serving this Potiphar guy, and, and the Bible records that 
God starts to prosper him. He starts to gain a little ground. And then verse 6, look, the story starts to get interesting right here. Now, Joseph was well-built and handsome. And after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, come to bed with me. And this is where I want us to see the first of five what I believe are keys to holding on to our dream. Key number one right here that we see in Joseph's life is we must hold on to our integrity. Here's Joseph serving in Potiphar's house, and all of a sudden, Potiphar's wife starts looking on, and she's like, who is that dude? Who's that young 20-something, that late teenager? Who's that? Who is that young guy? And Potiphar's wife starts digging his chili. She starts, she's seeing Joseph across. She's like, what is going What? And so she corners Joseph at one point and she says, hey, Joseph, listen, you want to get out of this whole slave thing? You, you want me to put you on the fast track? You want me to slide you in the back door around all of this whole slavery thing? It's easy. Just come to bed with me. And listen, here's the thing. In the midst of this circumstance, think about it. Joseph is what, early 20s at this point? He's a million miles away from his dream. He's hundreds and hundreds of miles away from his home, his homeland. If anybody had a reason, had a right to have a little fun, if anybody had a right to to skirt around the system, if anybody had a right to compromise and lay down their integrity for a little while, to sow their wild oats for a, a season, it's a guy who was thrown into a pit and left for dead, then sold, then sold again. It's that guy. We would all look on that guy and go, you know what, man, it's cool. You're good. We understand. But he didn't do that. He didn't compromise that when Potiphar's wife comes to him and says, listen, I want you to sleep with me. He says, no, I will not do that. And he resisted. And so must we. And if you're here today and and someone is tempting you, someone is pressuring you to compromise your integrity, to, to skirt the edges, can I just encourage you like Joseph, that if we're ever gonna see our dream come true, If we're ever going to be able to tell our kids or our grandkids someday the story of how God came good on the dream he put in our heart, I'm confident in knowing that you're going to want to tell the story with integrity. You're not going to want to tell the story, yeah, and then I had to sleep with this one lady so that I could get out of this. That's not how we're going to want to tell the story. When we were early on in in the church, and we were still doing church in the movie theater at the Bell Tower. Um, we had a trailer that we kept all of our equipment in, and anybody who's a part of our setup and teardown crews, you guys know that our setup stuff we do in mobile church like this is is very, uh, very, you know, the system is tight. So one day we, we pull up to the movie theater, the church is probably a year and a half old, and uh, we get out, and, and this tech guy was with me, and we walk around to the back of the trailer, and I'm like, do you have the key? Because at that time only two people had the key to the trailer. And he looks at me about the same time, and he goes, do you have the key? I'm like, no. And he said, well, this one guy has it, but he's out of town on the other side of the state, and Mike Ash was the other person, our associate, who we met a few minutes ago. He, he had the key, and he's on vacation in Indiana. So I call Mike, and I'm like, hey, dude, how are you doing? Oh, hey, I'm good, man. Hey, do you know where the key to the trailer is? Yeah, it's right here in my key ring. So I look at the tech dude, and he looks at me, and he's like, come on. And we jump in his car, and we drove like banshees to get to Home Depot. And we're like, go, go, go. I mean, we drove like so fast, it was like great that there were no cops because we're doing the Lord's work. I mean, we're flying. We are flying. We run into Home Depot. We're like, where are your bolt cutters? And they're like, aisle seven. Me and the tech dude, we're running in, and we're like, 
And we go and we run up to the checkout. We check out and there was $65 for bolt cutters. But I'm like, we need them. Let's go. Swipe them. You know, go back to the thing. And as I'm cutting the bolt on the trailer, we get back there. I'm thinking $65 for one bolt cut. So after we have church, we set up, we do the whole deal. And afterwards that night, I'm thinking about it. I'm like, man, listen, our church is small. We have no money. And I just dropped $65 of God's money on bolt cutters? So the next day I took him back. <laughs> I'm not sure why y'all applauded. <laughs> kind of scared. <laughs> you haven't heard the end of the story. So... So a few weeks go by, and my wife and I are out to dinner with this couple that was in the church at the time, and for whatever reason, I started telling the story, and you know, I started telling them about the bolt cutters and the thing, and I, I, I tell them that I took them back, and so I'm sitting there, and I don't know if you've ever like had felt like God was speaking to your heart, and it wasn't audible or anything, but it's like, you know, it's just like there's that knowing inside of you, you're like, wow. And I felt like the Lord spoke to my heart and said, Matt, you want to know why the church is losing momentum? Because like for the next few weeks, we had been losing momentum. Offerings were down. I mean, it was like, it was like, what is going on? And sitting there with this couple in the church, the spirit of God is just convicting me. And he said, Matt, you sold your integrity for $65. And you know how you do. I'm like faking it with this couple. I'm like, ah. and we get in the car and I'm like, honey. I just really feel convicted about doing that. So the next day, I went back to Home Depot. <laughs> With my own money. And I spent $65. Listen, look, you know what that is? That's somebody else who bought these bolt cutters and who had them on a job site for what, a week or whatever, and didn't want them to walk off, actually put permanent marker of their initials or whatever this scribble is so that no one would steal their bolt cutters so they could take them back to Home Depot. Everybody did this. If anybody had a right, it's the guy who's trying to do God's work. It's the guy who doesn't have any money in his, his fledgling church plant. If anybody had a right to borrow some bolt cutters from Home Depot, it was me. And God just spoke to my heart and said, Matt, then your integrity is worth $65. Okay. That's the price of your integrity. What about us? Did you cheat on your taxes this year? How much did you save? That's the price of your integrity. Did you skirt around the lines on that one insurance thing? Oh, you saved $183. That's how much your integrity cost. I made a commitment then and there that as long as I pastor Next Level Church, I will always personally own these bolt cutters. So there's Joseph, refusing to compromise his integrity, refusing 
to give in to the pressure of Potiphar's wife going, listen, I can give you a way out of this whole slavery thing. Just come sleep with me. Just come compromise. Just skirt around the edges here. Look, that's a gray area. No, it's not a gray area. It's a God area, and I'm not going there. And the minute Joseph stands up for his integrity, he does what's right. Even though he's a million miles from his dream, guess what happens next? Potiphar's wife screams, rape. And the guards rush in, and Potiphar rushes in, and she looks at Joseph, and she frames him, and she says, he tried to rape me. And Joseph spends the next several years in prison because he did what was right. Because he dared to hold on to his integrity. He ends up in a dungeon for the next several years with two losers who were his friends, a cupbearer and a baker. Other people that Pharaoh got, they got on Pharaoh's not nice list and got put in the dungeon. And so there's Joseph down in the dungeon with these two guys holding on to his integrity, holding on to the dream in a pit. So the cupbearer and the baker had these dreams. And they wake up one morning and they're like, man, what did we just we had these really weird dreams. And Joseph's like, actually, you know what? I got a gift. I got a thing. Tell me what the dreams are. So they start to share and the cupbearer's like, well, I saw these vineyards and I saw these grapes and, and they were so plush and juicy. And, and then the baker said, well, mine was kind of the same way. I saw these like three baskets of bread. But then these birds came out of the air and they started eating the bread. And they look at Joseph and they're like, really? You got a gift? Do you think you could tell us what it means? He goes, yeah, Absolutely. He looks at the cupbearer and he says, Pharaoh is going to forgive you and you're going to be able to serve Pharaoh again very, very soon. And the baker's like, ooh, me too, me too. Tell me that one, tell me that one. And Joseph looks at the baker and he says, you know what, it's not going to be that way for you. The interpretation of your dream is, Pharaoh's got it in for you. Your execution date is set. Sure enough, within a few weeks, both dreams come true. The cupbearer goes back to serving Pharaoh. The baker goes, and Pharaoh does have it in for him, and he ends up being executed. And as the cupbearer is leaving the the dungeon, Joseph looks at the cupbearer, and he says, Hey, just do me one favor, by the way. When you get up in front of Pharaoh, don't forget about me. And look at what Genesis 40 records. The chief cupbearer, however, did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. So here's Joseph, our hero, living his dream, holding on to his integrity, And the one guy in his life that he had hope would maybe be something, forgets all about him. That is until Pharaoh had a dream. So there's the cupbearer, and the cupbearer's job was simple. Basically, his whole job was to taste the wine before Pharaoh tasted the wine, and if he died, Pharaoh wouldn't drink it. It's not a, it's not a good job, but it's, you'll have it for life. <laughs> That's funny. Uh, sorry, every once in a while, you know. It's... So one morning, Pharaoh wakes up and he comes in and he's all just troubled and he says, I had this crazy dream last night. And he starts telling everybody, I saw these big seven fat cows and then I saw these seven skinny cows and, and I don't know what this dream means. And so they call in all the magicians and wise men and the wisest people in the entire nation of Egypt to come in. So he's like, Someone's got to tell me what this dream means. Someone's got to interpret this dream. And none of the magicians and none of the wise men can interpret this dream. And then all of a sudden the cupbearer says, oh, excuse me, by the way, um, I know that I'm just here to die first. But listen, I actually remember this guy down in cell block C. His name was Joseph. And he's actually got this thing. He's got this gift. 
He can totally interpret dreams. You should call him. And Pharaoh is desperate, and he's like, absolutely do it, which takes us to our second key that we must hold on to if we're going to pursue our dreams. Number one, we must hold on to our integrity, but number two, we've got to hold on to our relationships. We must hold on to our relationships. Listen, Joseph only had two friends in the entire world. One of them got knocked off, and the other one forgot all about him. It would have been very easy for Joseph to just write off those relationships. But listen, isn't it interesting how some of the most unlikely relationships in our life end up being the very one that God uses to become a dream maker in our life? You know, the friend who wants to become your Facebook friend. You haven't talked to him like in 30 years and they're like, oh, add, add, add. You're like, well, I don't even remember who you are. Isn't it crazy how, how there are these relationships that we don't even think matter, that, that seem inconsequential. And for Joseph, one of them was inconsequential, but the other one became a dream maker for him. And each one of us, we know, we understand this, that there are people that God aligns in our life relationally to be used to help us make our dream come true. I think about a 21-year-old guy that I met who was a maintenance man who smoked cigarettes at the church I was a part of up north before we moved here. And I had known this guy loosely. But in the process of Sarah and I resigning and getting ready to move to Southwest Florida to start Next Level Church, I got an opportunity to work closely with this guy. And I started sharing the vision of the dream of Next Level Church in Southwest Florida. And I started sharing it with this 21-year-old Guy, and as I shared the dream, I started to realize that there's a calling on this guy's life. That, there's, that this guy is a guy who, who has a, a huge pastor's heart, a huge gift of leadership, but he's been pigeonholed by the leadership up there. And he's sure he's rough around the edges. But he looked at me and he said, hey, listen, if you'll take a chance on me, I'll move with you to Fort Myers and help you build your dream." Today, we know that guy is Mike Ash, our associate pastor, who seven years later is not only still with us, but in my opinion, is one of the foremost young leaders in the body of Christ in our nation. And I'm telling you, and I keep telling him, I said, bro, listen, by the time you turn 30, he's 28 years old, by the time you turn 30, I'm telling you, God is going to give you a platform to speak into leaders across our nation in the body of Christ. You guys get ready. I'm telling you. God's hand is on Mike Ash. But see, Mike's been faithful for seven years to serve a dream, to serve a vision of somebody else, to sow into another man's field. I think of a guy named Roger who was the movie theater manager at the Bell Tower who saw a 26-year-old kid and his 24-year-old wife walk in with a dream to start a church in a movie theater. And for whatever reason, got behind us. And for four years was our Sunday morning manager who came in and unlocked the doors early and served us. And for four years, he, he finally came across the line, gave his heart to the Lord, and began investing in us and just, just loving what God was doing through Next Level Church. And his name is Roger. And the world may never know who Roger Mornall is, but I know who he is. He was a manager who worked behind the scenes to create so many opportunities for me and for us to live our dream. I think of a guy named Richard Fessel, who was a family friend of my family for 25 years, and I had only ever known him from a distance and loosely. Who, when I moved here in January of 2002, 
and begin to look for a job so that we could start this church, but I needed to pay the bills, I suddenly realized that with all ministry experience on my resume, I was of absolutely no value to the job market here. So I'd go into places like Target. I went into Target, and I'm like, I need a job. And they're like, why aren't you doing something in your field? Well, I kind of am, but I can't tell you that. And I met with my friend, Richard, who I'd only ever known really from a distance and loosely, who owned a jewelry store in Cape Coral. And I looked at Richard, and I said, I know I'm not qualified. I know I don't know anything about jewelry. And you and I both know that the only reason I'm here is to start a church. And I think of a guy named Richard Fessel who gave me a job for 11 bucks an hour in the back of his jewelry store and paid me way more than I was worth. But he was a dream maker in my life. And every one of us have those stories, don't we? Those, those cupbearers for Joseph who were, who were divinely ordained to be in a place and a time for a season to make a way for us to see our dream come to reality. So... No matter what it looks like in your life right now, you've got to hold on to those relationships. So they call Joseph up and they're like, Joseph, come and try and interpret this dream. So he comes before Pharaoh. Pharaoh looks at him. He says, I saw seven fat cows and then I saw seven skinny cows and then the seven fat cows ate the skinny cows. What does that mean? And the Spirit of God comes on Joseph and he starts to tell Pharaoh, Pharaoh, you want to know what it means? Here's what it means. It means that Egypt in, in this, uh, this whole region of the world is going to have seven years of harvest and just bumper crops. But then they're going to be followed by seven years of famine. Which takes us to point number three. And that's this. If we're going to hold on to our dreams, and number one, we've got to hold on to our integrity. Number two, we've got to hold on to our gifts. But number three, or our relationships, number three, then we've got to hold on to our gifts. See, Joseph could have, while he was in the dungeon, forgot all about his gift, his talent, his ability that was God-given. He could have forgot all about that, but he didn't. He held on. In fact, he practiced on a couple of guys who were bakers and cupbearers. He was practicing his gift. He was holding on to his gift so that when the time came, he was ready. When he stood before Pharaoh, it was like, bring it on. Bring on the dream. I can do this. He was ready. What about us? Have we forgotten our giftings? Have we ever looked at ourselves, especially in a down economy, and said, man, what has God placed inside of me? What are those strengths? Where are those weaknesses? What are those passions that God's placed inside of me? You guys, this is huge for me. Because when I was in fifth grade, my life revolved around sports until I got cast in a high school musical in our town, our high school, as Winthrop in The Music Man. And in May of 1987, my life changed 22 years ago because I suddenly realized that I was a natural on a stage. And long before I ever knew the Lord, long before I ever had a relationship with God, I can see the handiwork of God ordering my steps. And for the next eight years, I was a part of every high school musical in our city. And then I started teaching myself guitar and I started leading worship in my church. Why? Because I knew that this came natural. And now, 22 years later, people look on and they go, bro, you're so comfortable up there. It's so easy for you. How do you do that? I'll tell you how I do that. I've been doing this since I was fifth grade. I added it up a few months ago. I literally have preached over a thousand sermons in my lifetime. And I'm not even 34 yet. Now, I don't say any of that to brag on myself at all, only to say this, that is God-given, that is God-arranged. Well, what is it in your life? Where do you see the handiwork of God carving in, placing threads inside the fabric of your life, those giftings, those talents, those passions, those abilities, that, that even in a down economy, you can be developing now so that when the time comes and you stand before your Pharaoh, you'll be ready. Where are those things? 
So there's Joseph, and he's standing before Pharaoh using his giftings. He didn't forget about his giftings. He held on to them. And he says, here's what it means, Pharaoh. You're going to have seven years of harvest, and then you're going to have seven years of famine. So here's what you need to do. My advice to you would be, you need to go find somebody who is smart and wise and understands this whole deal and knowledgeable so that you can make the most of this harvest year, so you can collect food in these seven years so you'll be ready for the famine. So there's Pharaoh, and he's going, that's unbelievable. Look, Genesis 41 tells the story. And now let Pharaoh look for a discerning and wise man and put him in charge of the land of Egypt. Hmm, who could that be? I don't know, maybe someone who was living in cell block C. Someone that looks like me. I don't know, Pharaoh. Maybe you need to find um, me. He sent it up. Dig this. Look, verse 37. The plan seemed good to Pharaoh. He's like, yeah, you're right. You're totally right. And all of his officials, they're like, yeah, we think, wow, what a great idea. That's awesome. Way to go. Way to go. 38, look. So Pharaoh asked them, can we find anyone like this man? One in whom is the Spirit of God? Is there anybody else in our nation like this guy? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God made all this known to you, you do the job. And Joseph's like, oh, shucks. Can't you see it? He's like, perfect. So check this out. Listen, here's number four. We must hold on to our knowledge. We must hold on to our knowledge. So many of us, gave up on learning and progressing and developing ourselves and developing our skills and talents and abilities when we graduated from college or when we graduated from high school. We gave up on all of that. You guys, listen, if you're ever going to see your dream come to pass, it will only be when we hold on to knowledge, when we keep growing. You guys, I'm a huge reader because I know that if I'm not reading, if I'm not listening to other guys who do what I do only better than I do it, I'm going to fall behind because the culture is always moving forward. And again, especially in a down economy, this is the time to prepare yourself. This is the time. Why are you going back to school? Why are you doing that? Why are you studying that? Why are you meeting with that person? Because we need to, because we got to develop ourselves. Joseph was ready with the knowledge he needed so that in one day he went from being in a dungeon to being the second most powerful man in the entire nation. So sure enough, it all happens, just as Joseph said it would. Seven years of harvest, they store all this food, they do all of this awesomeness, and then the famine hits. And all of the surrounding nations are freaking out, and they're starving to death, including Canaan where Joseph's family was. Look at this, Genesis 42. Then 10 of Joseph's brothers went down to buy grain from Egypt. Now, Joseph was governor of the land, the person who sold grain to all its people. Well, that works out well. And again, remember, the brothers think he's dead and gone. They're not not coming to Egypt expecting to see Joseph in charge of it all. They're coming to Egypt because they're starving to death. So there they come, and look at this. So when Joseph's brothers arrived, they bowed down to him with their faces to the ground. Sounds like a dream we heard once, doesn't it? As soon as Joseph saw his brothers, he recognized them, and the Bible records that they didn't recognize him. But he recognized them, and and the next few verses tell us that when Joseph saw his brothers and he saw his dream coming true, that there he was standing tall, and all of the 11 brothers or 10 brothers bowing down to him when he saw his dream coming true, some 13 years later, the Bible records that he left the room and he went out and he wept deeply. Why? 
Because Joseph understood the larger context. And if I could say anything to us today, and so many of us who are listening and in a part of this service today are are looking at our life going, Matt, I feel like my dream is millions of miles away. The final thing I would say to us is that we, like Joseph, must hold on to the larger context of our life. So Joseph like plays this game with the brothers and they, the whole time they don't know it's him and he, so he's testing them to see if they're the same scoundrels that they were 13 years ago or if their hearts have really changed. And so he tells them to go back and get their little brother Benjamin who was the new favorite and bring Benjamin and then Joseph kind of sets this whole thing up. You can read it in Genesis. Puts a cup in, in Benjamin's sack, set him up and frame him to see if the brothers would stick up for him or if they'd leave Benjamin to die like they did with Joseph. And once they prove that the brothers' hearts have changed and that they're good, he says, listen, I'll give you your grain if you'll go and get your dad and bring Jacob here. And so the entire family comes, and in that moment when they're all there, the 11 sons, the sun and the moon, the father, everybody is there, and they're all bowing down at the feet of Joseph. Joseph reveals that it's him. Well, here's the thing. Again, this is where like the Braveheart music kicks in and we're all like, woo! Okay, not necessarily. Remember, 13 years ago, these brothers left him for dead and then ended up selling him. Now they find themselves at a place where they are completely bowed down before the second most powerful man in then the world. And they're thinking, he's going to kill us. We're dead. And so they look at Joseph not knowing what to expect, thinking, are are you just going to do us in because we did you so much harm 13 years ago? And Joseph looks back at them, and in Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, I want to close with this verse. It's a verse that's impacted my life in huge ways over the last 15 years. Joseph looks at them, and look what he says. He says, what you intended to harm me, God intended for it for good. To accomplish what's being done now. The saving of millions and millions of lives. See, Joseph had a hold of the larger context and he looked at himself and he looked at his brothers and he said, listen, I know you guys regret the last 13 years. I know that you're looking on now with remorse and regret. But listen, I'm looking back now over the last 13 years of my life. I'm looking back over the betrayals. I'm looking back over the broken promises. I'm looking back over the difficulties and the nights in the dungeon. And I'm looking back over being forgotten. And I'm looking back and I'm realizing... That though I felt like I was a million miles from my dream, God was with me and he was perfectly ordering my steps so that 13 years later, millions of people could be saved. So was it painful? Yes. Was it difficult? Yes. Was it hard? Yes. But was it worth it? You bet. Maybe you're here today and you feel like Joseph. You feel like your dream is a million miles away. Can I just encourage you? No matter how much you've been betrayed, no matter how far you feel from your dream, no matter how much you feel like people have made broken promises to you, no matter how distant and separated you feel like you are from your dream, can I just encourage you today? 
that there will come a day in your life where you, like Joseph, will be able to look back on your dream. And it might be 13 years. It might be 15 years. It might be 30 years. But you'll be able to look back on your dream and say, wow, I can see the sovereign hand of my God. And it is all worth it. Let's pray together. Jesus, today, so many of us are looking at our lives, feeling like our dream is a million miles away. So many of us are being tempted to compromise our integrity, to skirt around the edges. So many of us are feeling betrayed and forgotten. So many of us are feeling like we've been sold a bill of goods and sold down the river, and we're living in some crazy, whacked-out, foreign-type reality that we don't understand. But God, today, may may the words of Joseph Bring a confident assurance to our heart. May the words of Joseph be a healing balm to so many of us today who feel like we've been separated from our dream, who've been tempted to give up on our dream, to compromise on the dream. May the words of Joseph that what could have been intended to harm us or to destroy us completely, that that is exactly the path that you, God, had to use so that we could see our dream come true and we could see so many lives impacted. So Jesus, may we never lose sight of our dream. May we never give up on our dream, but may we hold to our integrity. May we hold to our relationships. May we hold to our giftings and to the knowledge that you're building within us. And may we hold to the larger context of what you're doing in our life. That we, like Joseph, can find ourselves one day where the story comes full circle, where it all somehow makes perfect sense, and we see our dreams fulfilled. In Jesus' name, and everyone said.